0: Hello Liturgy Guy listeners, this is your host Jesse Weiler and we have another great episode for you. But first I want to give a shout out to our new Patreon supporters, so shout out to Michael Cagliano, Sarah Lewandowski and Vicky Delaney. Vicky, thank you for that message, it was hilarious. And If you want to support us on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com liturgy and remember the incentives, $500 and I write a rap song about the Liturgy Guys, $1000 and I make a music video featuring Dennis and Chris. Dennis found out I made this promise on his behalf, and he was a little miffed, but I think we should get to $1,000 so that I can make this happen. Also, a very big announcement this week. Patreon supporters got this information last week, but you're getting it now. We are launching a new certificate program for the Liturgical Institute, and we are looking for people to sit in on those classes while we record them. So if you want more information about this, you can send me an email at questions or go to our Twitter page. I will post all the information there. And finally, this week we are talking about the Eucharist, and Chris throws out a question I may or may not have answered wrong. I still don't know. But without further ado, episode three of season three of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy.
1: I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass.
2: The Liturgy is what enculturates the gospel
0: for us. What are you, some kind of ultra
2: boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's
0: pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys.
1: The pastor at my parish, or the, he was visiting pastor, uh, he, at the end he said, so I was the cantor, my brother-in-law, Canisius, was the lector. The best name ever. Uh, he said, uh, this visiting priest said, I go to many parishes throughout the diocese and never have I seen liturgical ministers as
2: hirsute as you have here. Hirsute? What is that? Hirsute? Hirsute?
0: Is that like
2: a hair sweater? <laughs> it's like a hair shirt, but grown into a three-piece suit? What? I think it means uh, hairy or bearded. Oh. Or suit. Oh, I don't know.
0: Forsooth, I guess I should have looked it up before. I... Speaking of bearded and hairy, <laughs> if you want to support the podcast, oh, yeah. go to... Beard Balm. Beard Balm. Yeah. CatholicBalmCo.com slash liturgy. And anything you purchase at that page... We will get a kickback, which it's, would be
2: amazing. B a l m. This is not liturgy terrorism. Right? Yeah, or liturgy whoa, bombs. Whoa, liturgy balma. Do you
0: use All that right. stuff, Chris? This mid-
1: no. Well, Jesse brought me some today. I think, right? No, I didn't. Oh. I'm,
0: I'm getting. I'm on it. I'm getting it. <laughs> I, I, Tony Vicinda said he would send some, so I got to get it from him. Okay. All right. Anyway.
2: You have some intriguing idea for us today, Chris.
1: Well, I, have a, I don't know if this is an a interesting question or a stupid question or an insightful question. I'm
0: going to publish this podcast anyway, so even yeah, if it's just bad, just go we, with we, it. Yeah, mm-hmm. just go with it. Okay.
1: All right. Uh, Jesse and Dennis, if you could do one of these two things, which would you do? I mean, if circumstances were such that you, this is, that you had to do one of these things. Okay, what okay things? one, you could go to Mass and participate in the Eucharistic prayer, but then you had to leave early. And you didn't receive communion, Mm. okay? Or uh, you were able to, um, let's say, go to a church and not go to mass, but receive communion from the hands of the priest or deacon outside the mass.
2: Yeah.
1: So what it boils down to is uh, which is more effective and efficacious: to participate in the Eucharistic prayer without communion. Or, or the rest of the mass. to receive, uh, uh, yeah. But for this for this uh, first question, we'll just boil it down to that. Or to receive communion, but without participating in the Eucharistic prayer or the rest of the. Can months. I
0: ask a qualifying question? Is it Sunday? <laughs> yeah. Is there a right answer? <laughs> no. Okay. So no. I'm not going to look so, stupid No. So no it's matter. kind
1: of it's kind of a false question. But I bring it up for this uh, for this reason because it is uh, it's not just a kind of a wonkish type of uh, theoretical type thing. No. Uh, okay. Because me uh, For a couple of reasons. One, I received uh, a, you know, a call from a, from a pastor this very week about um, he had someone in his parish who because. Uh, her job started at a certain time, just simply could not stay until the end of Mass. But this person could come back after work and receive. I mean, was this, was this okay? Uh, or again, uh, um, there's been uh, in the news uh, reports from Archbishop Sample in Portland, Oregon, and a Bishop Basha in one of the Northern California dioceses that um, they are no longer permitting in their dioceses uh, uh, communion services during the week. If you can go, except you know, say maybe the sick or the homebound or something like that. At but, what At what point
0: do you want to hear my answer? <laughs> well, I'm just I just sure yeah, you ask sure us you, a question. You remember, the, I'm you know. still
1: asking the question. Oh, okay. okay.
0: This is a long question. Okay.
1: So, w- but what I'm getting at, this is not just a, a I don't think a strange theoretical thing. I mean, it has a, a real on the ground application, and and Archbishop Sample's explanation of why they weren't going to have. Um, uh, distribution of communion and a communion service on a Wednesday if you can go to mass on a Sunday he said these two things were never meant to be separated that the action at the altar and the reception of communion belong together so i guess i just wanted to uh, investigate the uh, So does that the rule out eucharistic
2: adoration then Well that's different from receiving communion well, sure in fact one of But the, if they're never meant to be separated then it would seem like you can't separate them separate adoration from the the them. eucharist from the liturgy chris come on yeah, well, reception from the liturgy. Right. So, no, I know what right. you're getting at. I'll give my, I'm, okay. I'm just,
0: I'll give my answer first, because okay, it's so going to be way answer? dumber than yours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that a challenge? <laughs> I would say that you can never go wrong with receiving the Eucharist, and mm-hmm, that that mm-hmm. probably has primacy. And my reason for that is that even if I were not to have, um, even if I were not to partake in the liturgy, I know that the Eucharist came out of a liturgy. It had to have come out of a liturgy and so for me if i had to choose i would say the reception Mm -hmm. of the eucharist you Mm -hmm. can't go wrong with jesus yeah Mm -hmm. presuming you're in the state of grace and all that stuff yeah yeah but we don't have to choose yeah yeah well right but But although it's interesting wait don't you
2: want my answer uh yeah go ahead ditto his answer is ditto (laughs) i would say this you have like on a Sunday and Feast of Obligation, you have an obligation to go to Mass. You don't have an obligation to receive communion. Ooh, that That's is That's a good point. I actually good. did think about that. And you also have the notion that rediscovered in the liturgical movement that Eucharist is an act and not a thing. Mm-hmm. So when you offer praise to God as the mystical body and you're allowing Christ to offer you to the Father, that offering is actually happening in the Eucharistic prayer, right? May this angel... Your age will take this offering of me to your altar in heaven. Now communion would be the completion and fullness of that offering. Like in the ancient world, a sacrificial offering wasn't complete until the See, people, I told the you priests of the people, ate the victim. But the victim was offered before they ate the victim. They just sort of pop in at the end and say, oh, "I'll have my you know lamb chop." It's not quite the same as bringing the lamb, <laughs> offering lamb chop, the lamb. That's appropriate. And. Um, So I would say if I had a choice, I'd want them both. But if I Mm -hmm. had to choose, I'd probably want to give myself a sacrifice in the altar in the ritual Mm -hmm. action as Christ
0: first. Can I I ask a question about that?
2: (laughs) I'll ask the questions here. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh, I feel like we're interrogating. Uh, So when you talk about the Eucharist being an act and not a thing, I I dig it. I think it's great. But what about Eucharistic miracles that – you know you hear these things of like you know right. people bleeding take, hosts yeah and, yeah people taking the host and trying to do something with it and then it bleeds and you know all that type right. of stuff well
2: it's it, it's an act and it does produce i mean obviously the Eucharist is it produced is, yeah. at the end of the act right it's the completion of the sacrificial offering is the participation in the eating of the victim in the case of the glorified victim being Christ so it's very hard to separate them out but if i'm not sacrificed you can't really do it
0: if i'm not sacrificed in that ritual i'm not as a part of that eucharist as let's say, everybody else who was present at that liturgy. So
2: singing the praise of glory to God, participating in the offering of Christ to the Father, is the act of doing Eucharist. Eucharist as the host, you know, consecrated host, is part of that, but by itself is not all of now,
0: that. Now, is that why some people get in a huff about not, like, receiving Eucharist or re- from previous liturgies? That were reserved yes. in the tabernacle because, right. like, that's not me there. That's the the other people that were at mass. Well, yeah, it's
2: still. I mean, it's still validly consecrated, and to the degree that it is efficacious, it's still efficacious. But the idea that the it really comes out of the notion that the the priest was the one offering mass. The people sat around and did the rosary until they were he was done, and then they got their spiritual vitamin pill at the end. But that the process of offering Christ to the Father was not necessarily considered there. So the new rediscovery is the people are members of this mystical body. The priest is the sacrament of the head of that body. That entire body is offered to Christ. People offer themselves. And the Eucharistic prayer isn't just a thing you wait around for the priest to finish, but it's something you participate in. And that's, the, that's when you offer yourself. And then the Eucharist, the actual kind of tangible Holy Eucharist, is the completion of that act. And it's not, that, it's not just a vitamin pill at the end.
0: As predicted, I feel but like my I answer know. was wrong. I can imagine somebody <laughs> no, 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 out no. there
2: saying, But wait, 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 what about this? What about this? Either argument you're gonna get the what about this, right? So fullness is better than either or, but Now, Chris, what do you say? No, no, uh, this is, uh, I
1: wasn't quite sure what to expect with this, uh, uh, (laughs) these questions or this podcast. We're not bad on the spot. But this is, uh, no, this is just what I wanted to have. The point of it isn't to find out which answer is right, because there's, you know, as far as I know, there there isn't. But to to kind of uh, drill down a little bit and investigate, you know, what's what's happening as you offer yourself uh, on the altar during the liturgy of the Eucharist, and what's happening when you receive... Uh, the Eucharist and communion, what's the relationship between these two? That's really more uh, the substance. That's really more of uh, the point of it and not necessarily this sort of theoretical question. Got it. Although, as I say, I mean, it's finding a very practical application with how bishops are legislating sure. and, and how pastors are making decisions. So anyway, let's, uh, let me just read what, uh, again, from the general instruction of the Roman Missal, what it says about uh, the oblation during the liturgy of the Eucharist paragraph number uh this is number 79, 79. you're just
0: reading this from memory that's Got a it. good one. no yeah that's not, <laughs> reading it from memory yeah, okay yeah, i looked at it the uh, last yeah, yeah. week sometime. <laughs> uh, <laughs> caught <laughs> uh the oblation
1: by which in this very memorial the church in particular that gathered here and now offers the unblemished sacrificial victim in the holy spirit to the father the Church's intention indeed is that the faithful not only offer this unblemished, sacrificial victim, but also learn to offer their very selves, and so day by day be brought through the mediation of Christ into the unity with God and with each other so that God may at last be all and all." That's pretty important stuff, isn't it?
2: Yes, it is. So, what does receiving the Eucharist have to do with all that?
0: Yeah, what, that's what I say.
1: What does it have to do with anything? All right, so, but that's a very important part to think, uh, a very important thing to be a part of. And as you uh, rightly said, Dennis, before, I mean, this is the, when Jesus says, do this, the this is referring to that. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> I know exactly what you yeah. meant by so that, but the To sounded- do
1: this, that he's commanding the church is to celebrate his, sacri- his sacrifice, but make it present in every time and in every place so that the members of his body... I've often wondered about this. You know, when the priest says, this is my body, obviously he means the body of Jesus. He's citing Jesus, but uh, I've often, so this is private interpretation here. Mm-hmm. I mean, his body today is the church, and when when he is lifting up the host and he's saying these words, this is my body, that's got me thinking that it's not just his body, but it's his mystical body that you're a part of and I'm a part of, right. and so the, this body is now all of our own sacrifices that we're joining to that of Christ
2: to be transformed and divinized as a gift in the Holy Spirit to God the Father. All right. And the Western emphasis has been on when is the Eucharist confected? When can you see it? It's held up for adoration or, or for being viewed. But if you really think about it the other way, you can say this is my body. Now it's now being lifted up between the veil of heaven and earth and offered to God the Father. In many ways, it's an outward movement. We tend to like epiclesis notion of when does the holy spirit come down and turn this into the spiritual food that we need which is legit but it's also being offered to god the father and we're part of that offering so this outward move toward the father as christ through christ is also part of it too and that's i think that's the hinge moment is it just the downward movement of god giving us nourishment or is it the upward offering of ourselves? it's up and then down well
0: it exactly. it's up mm. meet then come down
2: yep. mm. yeah yeah i mean
1: what's important more important than that they're both important. Yeah. This is how, uh, Maybe pie crust this pie. Is how the uh, germ describes communion rite. Since the celebration of the Eucharist is the Paschal banquet, it is desirable that in accordance with the Lord's command, his body and blood should be received as spiritual food by those of the faithful who are properly disposed. This is the sense of the fraction and the other preparatory rites before communion. So what is the uh, proper disposition for the reception of Holy Communion?
0: Oh, it's it's actually written out in the Catechism, isn't it?
1: Yeah,
2: but well, what did it say? You have to be to in the state of grace. State you have of to grace. know what you're doing. Yeah,
1: bring your mind to it. But I mean, what's the what's the uh, dynamics of receiving communion? Not just the mechanics, but I mean, what's the what's going on when you receive communion? Properly
2: disposed, you are receiving this influx of. Grace, God's own divine life, Christ's life. Which in turn? Divinizes you. Divinizes you. So which is
1: also the glorification of God. Right. right. So the, the, the proper disposition for the reception of Holy Communion is, is on the one hand, at a minimum, being free from uh, uh, serious sin, but having a disposition of humility such that when you receive the Eucharist, you are transformed and divinized. Uh, this, is what, this is what Jesus in the Eucharist says to St. Augustine. When you eat me, it's not normal food. Which changes into you you start to change into me but this can only happen if uh, we are so disposed to be transformed that we're humble enough to be transformed that we become god became man so that man might become god you are what you eat you know, i mean, that's and, absolutely uh, true here and
2: is that why there's legislation that the priest receives first because that's actually the completion of the sacrifice is when the priest eats the victim and then we eat the victim and then it's the completion of that sacrifice
1: well because we're priests too not in the same way that uh, father is but uh, we've helped to to offer this sacrifice in some way and so uh, ideally see this is it we're talking about exceptions here if you have to leave mass early or if you couldn't go to mass I mean so once you start to get out of the norm that's when these questions liturgical and sacramental
2: get uh, very difficult and I think this is where sacrificial theory in the ancient world comes in because Mm. we just think oh sacrifice a bull okay slit the bull's throat and drop the blood And then the smoke carries the flesh into the sky to the God and then you're done. But the sacrifice was not complete until the victim was eaten. So the sacrificial banquet was a big concept even before Christ joined his own personal sacrifice to the banquet of the Last Supper in the anticipation of the heavenly Jerusalem. To that
0: degree, wouldn't a meal that you prepare for your family not be completed until it's been consumed? Because it's the intent of what you're doing. You made this so that the intent... Right. If you're, your guests
2: come over and just eat and run, well, that's not really that great. If they come over early and they help and they grow the food and they cut the onions with you and you cook it together, then it's a much fuller experience. Or they only eat half the food. You know, I mean, right. So you, your kids always have to eat all their food at
1: home. But when you yeah. go to somebody else's house, I mean, they don't have a choice. They've got to eat the green beans. You might let them get away oh. with at home. When you go somewhere else, because uh, I think what you're getting at is it's a, uh, it's a sacrifice on behalf of the, mm-hmm. it's a gift on behalf of your host. But even, uh, this is uh, I think a, uh, a, I'm having a bad memory of,
2: of or, green beans. <laughs> no, well, no, I was invited to someone's house for dinner. Well, they remain nameless, not you or Jesse. And they served me the white meal, the white boiled meal. So they had four or five little kids and they had chicken that had been boiled in water, no salt, no pepper, no anything cauliflower that had been boiled in water no salt no flour no cheese i can't no believe nothing. kevin did this and you. white rice with nothing on it and it's like white this white that and i didn't i don't really like cauliflower so they, would you like some cauliflower said, no no thank you i'm not really a cauliflower person and they said well in our house we eat everything we serve. <laughs> i said i'm the guest eat your own blankety blank cauliflower so it's become one of the infamous meals of my life <laughs>
1: Louis Bouillet even suggests that initially, because there's, you know, what is sacrifice is a very difficult question to uh, to answer. But he says a meal was the first expression of sacrifice because the things before you, you didn't invent. I mean, you put a seed in the ground once and something happened and all of a sudden you have
2: an
0: ear of corn or something like that.
2: You could sell, but instead you give it to your friends mm. you invite them over. Uh, well
0: yeah you could say lend me your ears so i could well, well, eat well. more come over for thanksgiving
2: and a ten dollar cover charge at the door no you have to you give away you yeah and the
0: time. rest is yeah. gravy All right, but but, uh, but to
1: eat a meal is in, in itself according to bouillet essentially a sacrificial uh, action as well mm-hmm. anyway um i sacrifice
0: a lot oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, i think uh, you know this um you know the discussion is good because it, it it helps to put some some finer points on what, you know on, on the greatness of and the activity and not the passivity of offering a sacrifice along with the sacrifice of Christ through the hands of the priest. I mean, that's what that's what we're called to do in the oblation, but also it's connection to and the greatness of the worthy reception of holy Communion. So, uh, maybe just a couple uh, uh, thoughts before we conclude. Uh, Bishop Basha, back to this uh, these two bishops who have, again... Citing the legislation from the from the Magisterium, they're saying that there is no reception of Holy Communion during the week outside of mass, right because they they're trying to bring I think in their pastoral practice these two things, the oblation and the reception back into their
2: proper relationship. Then why do we have a right for receiving communion outside of mass? Yeah, that's the
1: that's the well, uh, okay, first first of all, most of the time that's for the sick, the shut ins, the homebound, the imprisoned, those who don't have access
2: to Mass. People on ships in the Navy who don't have priests on the ship with them. For
1: yes, yes. On the other hand, Dennis, there is a right for the celebration of the liturgy of the word outside of Mass with the distribution of Holy Communion. Oh, so that's, that's what I was thinking Yeah, oh, so there, there is c- that you don't have to be sick. I mean, you can, you know, you don't have to be imprisoned or on a ship. It, it's a normative right. But this is what, um, this is a document called Redemptionis Sacramentum. This mm-hmm. is, Bishop Basha will cite this. Uh, This document is from mid-2000s and it says this, it says, if Holy Communion is distributed at celebrations of the Liturgy of the Word, uh, the Dawson Bishop, to whose exclusive competence this matter pertains, must not easily grant permission for such celebrations to be held on weekdays, especially in places where it is possible to go and to the celebration of the Mass uh, either yes. before or after. Right? Not so, just
2: the closest parish, but there might be a parish 10 right, minutes away so, that's having Mass.
1: Well, yeah, but he, this is even saying if, uh, if there is going to be Mass on Sunday, this next coming Sunday at St. Mary's, then the bishop should only give permission after much deliberation for the distribution outside of Mass on a Tuesday or something like that. Hmm. Right, so, uh, yeah, you have this kind of uh, tension that the legislation is trying to deal with exceptional cases, but the point, I think, in all of this is, uh, is the relationship and the excellence between these two aspects of the Eucharist. Wake
2: up, Jesse. I don't know if- you heard that yawn. Jesse was like, "Yeah, oh, huh. It was a I
1: deep wonder... intake
0: of
2: breath Communion, because he was going blah, to say blah, blah, something." Blah, blah, blah,
0: yes, blah. indeed, indubitably. So, um, <laughs> if we take that notion and we double back—no, I don't know. I—I uh, I think the one thing I would like to say about this is that these are these are really interesting conversations in which we can't be conclusive about anything. But in order to have these conversations, we need to have had. Our previous conversations on the podcast to talk about some of that other stuff before we can begin to be in kind of the right mindset in order to talk right. about some of these f- more finite details. Wow. Yeah. If you don't have that base and you don't have that foundation of liturgical understanding, then these questions that you're asking, they just become semantic and they are just said, oh, well, just do that.
1: Well, and I'd, I'd like to ramsize this point again too. This, this, the, the point isn't just to be able to to answer these hypothetical questions, but to really make us more fully conscious and aware of what we're supposed to be doing at the oblation, offering the sacrifice, and what we're supposed to be doing at receiving communion. That's really, I think, what's right.
0: The we're base asking the question not to get an answer, but to find out what what is the base of the, mm. the question. So itself. I
2: would say, when you are at the Eucharistic prayer at Mass as a lay person, are you paying attention? Are you saying yes? You, I offer sorry, what did you say? Are you paying attention, <laughs>
0: Jesse? Are you offering yourself as I, a victim? I cannot afford to pay attention. Yeah,
2: or are you saying, Father, when that host is lifted up, saying, "I give myself to you, Father, as a member of the mystical body. I give Christ to you in tension with, the, in in intention with the priest, so that I can be glorified when this spiritual food comes back to me." That would be a full partic- participation mm-hmm. in liturgy, not simply saying, "Oh, well, making the Eucharist is Father's job because he's ordained and." It's not my business until I receive communion.
1: And after you receive, just on your way back to your prayer, your prayers, just Jesus make me like you. Jesus turn me into you. Jesus turn me into you. Jesus turn me into you. I mean, that's the that's the whole point of the reception of Holy Communion. But it can't happen if you don't let it. All so right, let right? it,
0: let it, <clears throat> let it, be. let it be. Let it be. All right, thanks, waste Chris. That was a good question. Them. Okay, good. Thanks. That All was good. our you question, You're both question right. for the week. So yeah. uh, we're both right. High five. Okay, got it.
2: But who was oh. more right? I oh. <laughs> was smarter sounding anyway.
0: It doesn't, doesn't take much. So you guys know that we love the Liturgical Institute and we love everything that we do here. But you know who else loves the Liturgical Institute? Yeah, Bishop Robert Barron. And guess what he has to say about it.
2: Well, I've known the Liturgical Institute from the very beginning. I was at Mundelein on the faculty in 2000 when it started. I knew Monsignor Mannion very well, who was the founder. Uh, Dr. McNamara who was with him from the beginning I've known we've become good friends I've spoken many times there I've known all the faculty members I've known many of the students so I I know from the ground up what the um, the LI does and they introduce people into the beauty of the church's intellectual tradition and liturgical tradition and um, I don't know in the country a better place to go to get immersed precisely in that aesthetic dimension and the intellectual than the L.I. So, you know, I'm a big fan.
0: Mail call! Mail call! Oh, Moses, Moses,
2: why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone?
0: This question comes from Joseph. Joseph says, There is a practice in my parish that I question. Those who are not receiving the Eucharist proceed to the priest with their arms folded across their chest to indicate they aren't receiving the Eucharist. The priest proceeds to bless that person. That person exits the reception line. Question one, when did the practice start in the Catholic Church? Two, is it illicit? Is it illicit? Three, if it's illicit, why hasn't there been a, an end put to it? Um, Joseph, I have the same question because I've actually heard Priests say, "If you are not receiving the Eucharist, please come forward and cross your cross your arms on your chest."
1: I think because that's easier to say than if if you are not a member in good standing with the Catholic Church, uh, you are not uh, permitted to receive communion.
2: So, just out of ease, I I don't know, that's not my to prevent guess. people from feeling excluded if they're mm-hmm. not ready. I think there was some sense too at some point that people were kind of feeling forced to go to communion because everybody was going, and if you were in mortal sin, usher sentence,
1: stands at the you end of might the pew like pressure to
2: receive when you're not ready.
0: Is it
1: is it illicit? Well, it's not prescribed anywhere in the books. In fact, in some particular cases, um, I can think of one bishop who said he he doesn't permit it, but when when someone comes forth with that posture. He doesn't give them a blessing. He says, receive Jesus spiritually in your heart, sort of fostering a spiritual communion in that person uh, so that when the time is right, whether because the kid is five years old or the person is uh, not in a state of grace or something, to cultivate a desire for the reception of Holy Communion under the right circumstances. So bishops can handle it differently, but no, it's not. Uh, it's not a practice that's prescribed or directed anywhere in, in any of the liturgical books that I'm aware of. And
0: it's a redundant blessing, right? Because they're going to get the final blessing like anyway. a few minutes later, right? Yeah, yeah. But then you
2: see people bring their babies up, and the priest gives the baby a little blessing.
0: I've had extraordinary ministers bless my children. Yeah, they're not supposed to do that. And I've been instructed as an extraordinary minister of holy communion way back when that when somebody comes forward with their hands crossed, that you say. Um, you put the sign of the cross on their head, and you no. say, "May the Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit." No, not uh, I, not I mean, according I, to the theology of no, blessing, no. as outlined in the introduction of the book of blessings. Yeah, I'm just I was just doing what I was told to do. So, um, so no no legislation
2: about it really. Other than people who are opposed to it come up with their reasons, and people are for it come up with their reasons. Um, but I guess the basic thing is, if it's not in the book, it's not meant to be encouraged,
1: right? Well, and if you think about a theology of blessing and other you know, and the other. Um, movement of the mass and it is incongruous with those things. Sure.
0: All right, Joseph, I hope that uh, answers your question. And if you have a question for us, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at liturgyguys or tweet Dennis at whatever Twitter.
2: Macadie.
0: Yeah, nobody will ever do that. Anyway, thank you and God bless.
2: The Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute.